Welcome to Wednesday evening service, midweek study. Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 26 tonight. So, uh, yeah, all of 26. Luke 8. We're good? Everybody there? We're going to do a little bit of, little bit of a Bible study-ish preaching with the study. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God. We thank you for life. We thank you for redemption. We thank you, God, that uh, you would give us chances over and over and over again. So we thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Father, this evening, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Um, I might not cover everything, but I will cover what stood out to me. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us all individually in a unique way tonight. A, a message of encouragement, um, maybe even correction. But more importantly, Lord, I would like you, we ask you to remind us of how much you love us and how much you want us. And so, Lord, thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And so, we pray tonight that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Amen if you're there. Amen? Are we good? Okay. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the back on the, um, on the shelves. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. No, you're good. Everybody good? And you can take that one home. Okay. So if you don't know, uh, now you know. I went through a ministry called U-Turn for Christ. Ah? Uh, and I occasionally work with this ministry as well. Um, now, this ministry takes in really knuckleheads um, like myself uh, who didn't have the brightest future. Um, and see what happens over time is that it starts to change the course and really the direction um, of a person's life. That's the ministry. And so, as, <laughs> and so as I got to stay there for about four and a half years, uh, I got to oversee the men um, from morning to night. <laughs> Auntie Jean's always laughing. <laughs> uh, from morning to night, I got to oversee um, the men. And in four and a half years, right, you get to see a lot of things. A lot of things like you really get to know how people are and how people behave and really everyone's a little bit different at times but one thing that does not change uh, one thing that is always consistent even till this day um, is really what Jesus says in John 10 10 he says the thief comes only to kill steal and destroy but Jesus says that he came to give life or bring life or may have life and life abundant and in the context of this verse, I want us to know he's talking about the religious leaders of Israel. They taught a different gospel. And as we've seen in the past uh, teachings, that they rejected him fully. They rejected the Messiah. See, the thief might represent false teachers, but Satan is behind the message. 
I say this because most of us grow up listening to many voices and many teachers throughout our lives, being discipled by the world, I call it. Each of them telling us what they think is right and how we should live. Jesus is simply saying there's only one gospel and there's only one life. That's it. And any other way or any other life has the, has the intent only to kill, only to steal, and only to destroy. Not just physically, but spiritually. So he paints this picture for us that there's only two people in this world. One who is the giver of life and gives it abundantly, and there's one who only takes it away. See, this is the spiritual reality that you and I live in today. This is the ongoing battle that's happening like right now. Right now. And so much of the time, especially in a ministry like U-Turn, I see this very reality play out all the time. I see people come in with lives that are broken and destroyed, but I also get to see people with those same lives restored and put back together. I get to see people come in all the time enslaved and in bondage to many things only for them to meet Jesus and be set free. Now, this doesn't just happen at U-Turn. It happens everywhere. It happens even here. I've seen it. It's amazing. But I can boldly tell you today that this is what Jesus did for me. This is what he did for me. And this is what he continues to do for me every day. So more on this later. Amen? Amen. And so recapping last week, we've seen Jesus and the boys sailing across Galilee. Hopefully this message is more than 15, 20 minutes. Uh, sailing across Galilee um, only to find themselves in the middle of a what? Storm. And the lesson for his disciples was actually an invitation. His lesson was an invitation for them to trust Jesus more. That's it. Believe in him more. And this, always, this isn't always an easy thing. It's not. But it's in that moment Jesus would re reveal to them that he is God over everything. That nothing is out of his control and everything is according to his plan. And I say this because I don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't for the storms. I don't know where I'd be today. All the problems in life that gave me no other option but to only cry out. I had no other option. Because it's really in those harder moments where faith is exercised. Romans says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And what his disciples heard was we're going to the other side. <laughs> See, that's the promise. He just didn't tell them what would happen before that. Because had they known a storm was coming, probably would have never set sail. And yet because of the storm, Jesus would accomplish two things. First thing is he would reveal his power and authority. He would reveal his power and authority over creation. This means nothing is out of his control, and he is in control of every situation. And two, no matter what happens to his disciples, if Jesus said we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. <laughs> if Jesus said that's where we're going, that's where we're going. The hope is in the promise. 
We know this because as we read, the story continues. <laughs> it continues with everyone exactly where Jesus said they'll be. And if we can put our hope in anything tonight, you can put your hope in heaven. Jesus said in John 14 that he's preparing a place. And he said, if I'm preparing a place for you, I'm going to come back to get you. This is the promise. And so we might not know what happens from now until then, but we know where we're going. We know there's a place prepared for us, and we know that Jesus is there. How do we know this? Because that's what he said. I said this before, but it's super hard to run a race when you don't see the finish line. He's the finish line. You and I, with Jesus, forever and ever and ever. Amen? Yes. Amen. So be encouraged. Which now brings us into our text tonight. Verse 26 in Luke chapter 8. Ready? Let's go. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is the opposite Galilee. Now, quick Bible study. This story takes place in what the Bible calls the Decapolis. Deca means 10, polis means cities, all right? And so this region called the Decapolis was a place that had 10 cities. They were Roman cities. Luke and Mark mention Jesus and his disciples stopping in the country of the Gerasenes, but and talk this about, I, talk, uh, I talked about this with Pastor Steve. In uh, Matthew's account, he would say Jesus stopped in a country called the Gadarenes. And I think King James says Gergesenes? Maybe, something like that, right? But Gadarenes. Now, I read that these two places are not that far from each other, probably like 12 miles apart. See, I'm going to try to hit this real quick. Geressa was a Roman city that would have been more familiar to a Gentile audience, right? So we got to know who Mark and Luke were talking to. It's important to note who the authors are always writing to. But Gadara was the capital city of that region and was known as to be one of the major cities in the Decapolis. There's 10 of them, and that was a major city. And so I see it kind of like this. this is, I'm just going to try to hit it this way. This would be my opinion. This is conjecture. This is not in the Bible. Okay? If you say you live in Kilauea, that still puts you in the general area of the North Shore. So same goes for people who live in Waianiha or Haena or Princeville or Hanalei. You would still be from the North Shore. So even those people who lived in Garessa could have been called Gadarenes. And so I'm sure there's other explanations for this. You can, I'm open for correction. Now, Mark and Luke mention only one demon-possessed man, but Matthew mentions two. I got to get all of, all of this out of the way. Which is it? The answer is yes. This is not two separate stories. They are the same story, but Matthew points out both possessed men. Mark and Luke only points out one of them. And in this case, maybe he's the one who did all the talking, right? I say this to you just in case you come across these passages later and you're reading your Bible, you're like, wait, wait a minute. See, there are no contradictions in the Bible, and it's our job to study it. But the most important part of this story is not just the location Jesus would visit, let's not get lost in the weeds, or the amount of people he would set free. The point of this story is Jesus did visit a country in the Decapolis. 
And in this place, he would then set people free. That's the point. Amen? We're good? No? We're good. Verse 27. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, with each other Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Now, Jesus casted out many demons before this man. But tonight, we get to see everything really up close and personal. We get to see this interaction. It really starts with this man who's demon-possessed. That's where it begins. As we look at the text, it begins to show us that he was actually once a part of a community there. Now, we don't know when this happened or how this happened, but everyone knew who he was. If you look at Mark's account of this story, he tells us that people of his country would try to help him in his situation. Go look at Mark's account in chapter 5. Mark says no one was able to bind him anymore and that there was no one strong enough to even subdue him. Because maybe at one point, he was somewhat manageable. But his condition only got worse over time. This is also conjecture. Matthew describes this possession in Matthew's account as violent. He describes this man as fierce. Nobody could be near him. Nobody wanted to be near him. Wherever he was, people went in the opposite direction. It was like that. Mark says that you could hear him day and night. The country would hear him day and night screaming from the tombs and in the mountains as he would cut himself with stones. This is the guy you wouldn't give the time of day because he was out of his mind. That's him. This is the kind of person we would look at and just kind of write off. Everyone in this town knew he was helplessly hopeless. But Jesus didn't. This is who he came for. Because the whole point of the trip was to get to this man. The one that everybody thought that had no future. It was him. The one that everybody tried to help but couldn't be helped. That's who Jesus wants. This guy. This is who Jesus came for. Now, I don't know about you, but demon possession is gnarly. Really gnarly. I mean, if you watch the movies, it's like, Rah! no, it's not good. We had one not too long ago here. I was thinking about Elena. Like, it was gnarly. It was so gnarly. We had one here not too long ago, just right there in the back. And I believe it was a mild case as to what's actually happening here. Now, all possession is bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not discrediting anybody. But I don't know how I'd feel about someone running towards me naked and screaming. That's this guy. With cuts all over his body, it's not something that happens quite often. Right? Sounds like a scary movie. 
And yet the interaction between Jesus and the demon is completely one-sided. Like we were here from 7 to 9 p.m. Like I had no idea what was going on. All I knew was yelling, that's all I heard, and a lot of waiting. Right? Yelling and waiting, that's not what's happening here. This is complete reverence towards Jesus. This is every demonic spirit in this man falling on their face. That's what this is. And it's not, what do you want? It's, what are you doing here? Read it. It's, what are you doing here, son of the most high God? Matthew says, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? Like, Jesus, you're early. (laughs) You're early. Like, what business do we have with each other, Jesus? That's what's going on. It's not a debate. This is complete reverence. The demons recognize who Jesus is, and they realize their time is cut short. Let's read verse 30. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Abyss is another word for the bottomless pit. It's actually used in Revelations 9. Oh, Revelation 9, sorry. Verse 32. Now there was a herd, now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons implored him or begged him, this word implored means to beg, beg him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. Verse 33, and the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. Now, legion, this word, was the largest unit of the Roman army. It consisted anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers. So when this demon answered Jesus, he was saying there, was, there wasn't only one demon, but many demons. We don't know how much exactly, and, but this wasn't some kind of agreement about where they would go, right? He asked him, can we go there? This wasn't some kind of agreement. It says they begged him for his permission, right? The, G- the demons begged Jesus for his permission. If Jesus does not give them the permission, they can't do anything. Real quick, this means Satan has to ask for permission from Jesus to carry out any business. This means Jesus has the last say in everything. That's comforting. There is no authority above his authority. That's what that means. And there is nothing Satan can do without bringing it past Jesus first. Amen? Now, there are many interpretations as to why the demons begged Jesus to go into the pigs. Many. I was looking through all of them. But more than wondering why they would choose pigs or reaching for an explanation, there is one thing that the pigs already tell us. It shows us the intent of the demonic spirits. That's what I can definitely say. I I place my bets on this. As soon as they entered the swine, into the swine, it says they what? They ran off the cliff, and what did they do? They drowned themselves. Pigs can swim. 
they drowned themselves. Satan and his demons only carry a destructive nature. That's it. That's his purpose. It's not to preserve life or to save life or to build up life, but to kill it. And the human life, your life, is far more valued than any other life. I'm not saying animals are not important. I'm saying human life comes first. There is no question about that. In the womb, out of the womb, human life is far more valued than any other life. Animals were not created in God's image. You were created in God's image. There is no debate as to what's more important. Amen? Amen. Verse 34 says this, When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran. They ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man was demon-possessed had been made well. Verse 37, And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to, to stay. <laughs> they asked him to leave them. For they were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. Another thing that the pigs tells us is that this region was most likely Gentile cities. Pigs were unclean animals, therefore Jews had nothing to do with them. Now, another Bible study, Greek culture. The Greek influence was strong in this day, all right? And it, would, it spread throughout these countries, and they didn't just worship one god, they worshiped many gods. And pigs were used as sacrifices on, the altar, uh, on their altars. And what would happen is that the remaining meat of the pigs was oftentimes repackaged and sold in the marketplaces. This means that whoever owns, owned these pigs or this herd took a big financial hit. That's what this means. I believe these people were more afraid of what they would lose rather than what they would gain if Jesus stuck around. You see what I'm saying? They valued sows over souls. I got that from somewhere. <laughs> Nothing is new under the sun. And yet the very person they knew as the crazy guy running around, the one, that, the one they tried to bind and to subdue all of these years, the one screaming day and night, cutting himself with stones, the one guy that said, don't go near that guy, was now sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And if we know Satan only comes to kill, he only comes to steal, and he comes to destroy, it really showed in this man's life. But I believe it's more subtle than that. Because if it's not possession, it's influence. And we are surrounded by it today. I just heard 
this afternoon that the suicide rates of teens are a lot higher than ever today. Don't be deceived by the culture. You are deeply loved, and Jesus wants you. And when I say subtle, it can be things in life that we place more value or importance over intimacy with Jesus. Let me say that again. It can be so subtle. It can be things in life that we place more value or importance over intimacy with Jesus. See, this day, he gave these people a choice to love him, to receive salvation, or to love pigs. And I believe this happens every day in our lives. It happens in mine. Jesus always calls us out of and into a deeper relationship with him. Because what we gain is far more greater than what is lost. I'll take freedom over bondage any day. I'll take peace over anxiety any day. Joy over depression any day. Order over chaos any day. Because that's what he brings. And we'll finish with this. Verse, where am I? 38. 38? 38. But the man, but the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for them. Amen? Amen. This man, Jesus, asked if he could come with him, and he got denied. He got denied. Jesus had, and I want us to know this, Jesus had a greater mission for this man than for him to go back on the other side with him. I remember when I finished my time on the ranch, I really wanted to get going on with my life. Trust me, I did. (laughs) I wanted to get going. I had all these great plans, but PK told me, stay. (laughs) I couldn't see what God would do in my life over the period of four and a half years. Remember I mentioned that? But I realized it wasn't even about my life. (laughs) It was about the next guy's life. It was about the next people coming in during those years. It was about what God would do in their life as they got to see and hear what he did in mines and Keone's and PK's and all the U-turn guys that come out of the ministry. And I'm sure here too. This is what Jesus asked of this man. Hey, draw back. Stay back and tell them all that I did for you. Because later on in the gospel, we're about to see as we continue moving forward, later on in the gospel, we'll see huge crowds following Jesus. And I believe it's because of this man. He didn't tell him, preach a sermon. That's not what he said. He didn't tell him, attend seminary. He didn't tell him, memorize the first five books of the Bible or memorize all the, uh, memorize all the Old Testament prophets. All he said was, go. Go and tell them what I did for you. Like, you know who helps recovering drug addicts? Former recovered drug addicts. (laughs) 
Like, you know who helps people, uh, brings people out of witchcraft? Former witches saved by the gospel. And the list goes on and on and on. Everyone here, your story is unique. And it is uniquely different because it was meant to reach a certain group of people. And really, my encouragement to you and everybody here, as Pastor Steve was saying, last week, preach the gospel. Hey, share your story. All of you have one. Everybody here, and it's different for everybody. You not only relate to others, but you give people hope. You give people hope just by sharing what Jesus done for you, that it can also be done for them. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord, and I thank you, Father. Just, I pray that you would give us boldness to go out and not just, uh, not just um, teach the word or proclaim the word, Lord. I pray that we would be able to share our experience and not be in shame, Lord, not, not to shrink back, Lord, of our experience and what we went through. Father, because that is the greatest testimony. Nobody can take, us, take that away from us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness tonight to go out, to be that salt, to be that light, Lord. And to reach those maybe that haven't been reached in our workplaces, at home, even our own family members. Lord, this message is for me. And so, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us out of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son. We love you and we praise you, Father. We pray for um, safe travels as we go home. I pray that you would just mend any broken hearts here tonight. And I pray that you would give us sweet sleep, Lord, to hit, th to hit Thursday, really. And to be encouraged, Lord, that the finish line is with you in a place that you prepared for us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.